to welcome it to a warm bit of host with Julius Ricardo, Julius Ricardo Stanton. Face is Professor Griff. You're listening to Junius Ricardo Stanton. Straight up, we're teaching you all those things you need to know from the neck up. Alright? We're definitely doing a checkup from the neck up. This is Professor Griff from Public Enemy, the ex-minister. I'm out. Peace. Welcome to another edition of Akoban, the Warhorn. Akoban is an indinkra word and symbol from the Akan people of West Africa, specifically in Ghana. It is a specially carved animal's horn that makes a distinct and unique sound, and the villagers use it as a means to call for alertness, preparation, assembly, and mobilization. And so we use the Akoben to raise awareness, to call for assembly, and provide information that you may not otherwise receive or to offer differing perspectives from the claptrap that you hear in the mainstream media. And we'll continue with this episode following our mystical meditative moment and a few messages. Stay tuned. Greetings to the Internet Radio family. This is Reverend Valentine speaking. You know, for nearly 30 years, I have had the distinct experience of being interviewed over every medium of communication available to the public. And except for the metaphysical underground, I can think of no other electronic venue that has been more progressive, more innovative, more insightful, more diligent, more diverse in its demographics, and more courageously supportive of the truth than this ever-growing phenomenon called Internet Radio. And this is precisely why I'm here to tell you that it is so vital that you give your wholehearted support to it. Tell a friend. In fact, tell two, three, and four of your friends. If you are a business owner, support Internet Radio by telling your customers and constituents all about it. Let them know that there is a legitimate and important substitute to all of the prefabricated, super-censored garbage polluting our public airways today. Don't allow the mass media to continue to treat you like a mindless consumer drone. Enhance your awareness. Indulge your critical thinking, your reasoning, and your analysis. Do as I do. Log on, listen in, and then let it be known all about your internet radio experience. Chimatep, beloved family, thank you for listening. Walk in light. This is a mystical meditative moment. Wherever you are, pause, take a deep breath, hold it, exhale through your nostrils, Take another deep breath, hold it, exhale, inhale, hold it, exhale, pay attention to your stream of consciousness, listen for the quiet, the stillness, inhale, Hold it, exhale, hold it, 
Inhale, hold it, allow your stream of consciousness to quiet itself. Listen, listen for the inner voice of your true and highest self. Take a deep breath, hold it, exhale. Sit quietly, relax, exhale, inhale, hold it, exhale, relax, totally relax, inhale, hold it, exhale. Now you're prepared just to go on with your day refreshed, energized, and more focused. Stay strong. Listening to Akuban, a call to awareness, a call to alertness, a call to action, and a call to war, with Junius Ricardo Stanton. Since the last time we were together, much has happened. There's been a rollout of the COVID SARS-CoV-2 injections with. Pfizer, Moderna, and over in England, the Oxford AstraZeneca injections rolling out, and there are currently over 70 other so-called vaccines in trial and research and development. I've long stated my hesitancy and reservation about these because they've skipped certain crucial stages, and this, in my view, makes them experimental. The other challenge I have is that there is a propaganda war going on and it seems that any dissent, any questioning, any reservation or hesitancy about the information or the narrative is deemed illegal or dangerous. And so since when did it become dangerous to ask questions unless people have something to hide? Since when did it become illegal to have your own opinion about something unless they want to have a totalitarian regime. And so I think uh, we need to look at what's happening, what's going on, and consider, for example, this is one of my more recent pieces, why there is such a hesitancy or the, what are the roots of the hesitancy and the antipathy towards the U.S. medical establishment by people of color. And that's the title of my piece, The Roots of Black Antipathy towards the U.S. medical establishment. The current global coronavirus situation and the rollout of SARS-CoV-2 injections has refocused attention on the reasons blacks remain skeptical of the motives of the government, the healthcare system in general, big pharma in particular, and why so many African Americans are reluctant to take the COVID injections. The history and reasons for this skepticism date back hundreds of years to enslavement, 
through the Jim Crow apartheid era to the present. During enslavement, black bodies were used without their consent for pleasure, experimentation, and sterilization while they were alive and for study, autopsy, amputation, and dissection, which all too often included mutilation after they died. In addition to experimenting, quote-unquote, and surgery on live blacks without use of anesthesia, whites frequently stole black bodies from graves to autopsy and dissect or mutilate. Quote, the 19th century saw a boom in medical education and the number of American med schools increasing from 4 to 160. This meant the legal supply of cadavers was suddenly insufficient and created demand for resurrected bodies in both Britain, think Burke and Hare, and the United States. A group of free blacks in 1787 petitioned the city of New York to stop people from robbing bodies from their graves in the Negro burying ground, but were unsuccessful. When the body of a white woman was discovered stolen a year later, New York residents took action and rioted, unquote, how grave robbers and medical students helped dehumanize 19th century blacks and the poor by Christina Kilgrove, www.forbes.com forward slash 2015-07-13. Black grave robbing goes back centuries. Robbing black cemeteries was so popular, they called the grave robbers resurrectors. Whites paid blacks to pilfer the graves of newly deceased blacks so they could use them for their experiments. They figured blacks in a black cemetery would be less suspicious. For hundreds of years, individual doctors, quote-unquote, and later medical schools used black bodies without consent or paying compensation to the family. Quote, New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Maine, and Ohio all passed anti-grave robbing laws in the first half of the 19th century. They didn't work. Even worse, the laws were particularly ineffective for those groups generally targeted for such activity. African Americans, Native Americans, immigrants, and the poor. Unquote. And that's from the same article in Forbes magazine. During the early 20th century, Rockefeller and Carnegie schemed to monopolize medical education, petrochemicals, and pharmaceutical drugs. Using Pasteur's germ theory, Rockefeller pushed drugs made from oil and petrochemicals as a solution. Medical schools, many supported by Rockefeller money, embraced this notion of treatment. Use of dead bodies, cadavers, became an integral part of 20th century medical education and research, hence the increasing need for free cadavers. Over the years, live blacks were also used for experimentation and study, often unbeknownst to the subjects or their families. While the establishment of medical schools and hospitals increased, often funded by oligarchs like Rockefeller, most of these facilities were closed to blacks, or they limited black patients due to government-sanctioned racial apartheid. The Flexner Report, published in 1910, paid for by Carnegie at the behest of Rockefeller, supposedly to evaluate and standardize U.S. medical education, was used by Rockefeller and Carnegie to eliminate competing disciplines and therapies such as naturopathy, osteopathic medicine, and homeopathy. But the report also led to the closure of several pioneering black medical schools. And you can find out more about that at www.medpagetoday.com forward slash public health policy forward slash medical education. In an attempt to remedy these conditions, 
Blacks founded their own hospitals, medical colleges, and nursing schools. Black morticians used their carriages and hearses as ambulances because white ambulances would not transport blacks and there were very few places to transport them that would treat blacks. The sting of this legacy lingers today, despite the passage of civil rights and social welfare funding legislation that has mitigated many of these policies. Here's a list of historic black hospitals. Freedman's Hospital, now Howard University, was founded in 1862 as part of the Freedman's Bureau and was established to address the needs of the newly freed black. It was and still is a federally funded facility. Provident Hospital, founded in 1891 in Chicago by black doctor Daniel Hale Williams to train black nurses and interns. Other pioneering black hospitals were the Frederick Douglass Memorial Hospital and Training School, founded in 1895 in Philadelphia by Dr. Nathan F. Moselle, and Lincoln Hospital in Durham, North Carolina, founded in 1901 by Aaron Moore and staffed by black doctors from the Leonard Medical School at Shaw University, the first four-year medical school for blacks in the United States. Lincoln was also assisted financially by the influential Washington Duke, a white tobacco magnate and industrialist. Duke University is named after him and his family. These groundbreaking facilities were all part of the black hospital movement. In addition to this sordid history, there is also a long tradition of disrespect, maltreatment, and callousness towards blacks by medical professionals hospital staffs, pharmacists, and other health care agents. www.thelancet.com forward slash journals forward slash lancet forward slash article. Until these issues are addressed and rectified, don't expect blacks to fully trust or embrace the health care system or their programs. Unfortunately, this is a legitimate concern. It's not just the Tuskegee experiment. It goes back hundreds of years. It goes up even to the mid, early to mid 20th century. The U.S. Supreme Court agreed to involuntary sterilization, and quite frequently blacks were targeted for that. So, all of this is out there, but even more so when you add the often disrespect that the medical profession treats people of color, that exacerbates the problem. Then you tie in this global pandemic that has ravaged the world, supposedly, when in fact, recovery rate is something like 98% worldwide. And then you look at the specifics of it, and it seems to be ever-changing. There's a propaganda war going on. There's all kinds of charges going back and forth, disagreements. Yet, the mainstream media, for various reasons, number one, because it's almost solely funded by Big Pharma. If you turn on your television, you'll see that the vast majority of commercials are drugs. It was a time, you know, back in the day in the 50s and 60s, most of it was like cigarette commercials or car commercials or uh, consumer products. Now it's drugs, consumer products, maybe automobiles. In addition to that, you have a unwise, in my opinion, response to this COVID or SARS-CoV-2. Nowhere in the history of the world have they locked down total societies, including healthy people, and shut down all activity, whether it's religious, social, commerce, you entertainment, sports, you name it. And so this is unprecedented, and many are finding out, and we'll see it as time goes on, that these policies have been even more dangerous than the so-called virus. 
because it has disrupted normalcy, disrupted social patterns, disrupted the way humans have responded and related to each other for millennia. This isolation, cutting off of infirm people, this squashing of religious activities, social activities, funerals, weddings, gatherings, it has disrupted society globally and it has taken a heavy toll on the economy. We need to see it for what it is and not just blindly go along with the notions of non medical professionals or even professionals who have a sordid history of running okie-doke on people. We need to be aware that these things are happening and we have a right to challenge them. We have a right to ask questions and we have a right even as they roll out and as they're trying to make these injections and they're they're not vaccinations because they're experimental and they're just being put out there. They haven't been fully licensed. They've they've been given the go-ahead through emergency use, which also is troubling because it does away with any kind of liability. It indemnifies these pharmaceutical companies who have rushed to put these products out. One of them, Moderna, who has never, ever in its history put a product on the market. So this information is being suppressed and Anyone who raises it is censored, deplatformed. That's the ultimate to be deplatformed. But they're doing this um, shadow banning where they limit access to your website. They're doing algorithm filters so people can't find you on the web. And they're doing some other things. And, and of course, the ultimate is to ban. And so they've banned people like Robert Kennedy Jr. because he is an advocate for a safe medical treatments for children. But I just want to share this. There is precedent for not being forced to take vaccines, and it's called the Nuremberg Code. And it was put in place after World War II following the Nuremberg uh, war crimes trials because when they did the investigations, they found out that the Nazis were engaged in so much inhumane and just savage treatment. Now, it wasn't just the Nazis. I mean, United States has a sordid history of experimenting on people, just like I, I shared in my piece. There are 10 elements to the Nuremberg Code, and I want to share them with you in case you have vaccine hesitancy and you're intimidated or, or pressured to take an injection. Number one, voluntary consent is essential, meaning that they cannot force you to take the vaccine or the injection or medication or any experimentation against your will. The experimentation must yield fruitful results unprocurable by any other means. In other words, they they have to follow the Hippocratic Oath, do no harm, and also not to do something just in a rash manner. Number three, the experiment must be based on animal experimentation and natural history of the disease. Before they rush to an injection vaccine or a drug, they have to test them on animals and they have to look and seriously study the nature of the disease. Four, avoid unnecessary suffering and injury. That's obvious. Five, no experimentation if injury or death will occur. In other words, if they project their timeline for the experimentation, if there's a possibility of injury or death, they cannot conduct the experiment. Risk 
should never exceed benefit. Preparation must be made against possibility of injury, disability, and death. The experiments and the testing must be conducted by qualified persons. Nine, anyone must have the freedom to end the experimentation at any time. And ten, must end any experimentation if there is a probable cause of injury or death. You have the right to stand on these international codes and state your case. Now, what's going to happen is they're going to make it very inconvenient for those of us who have reservations. And there are a lot of people who have reservations. I've seen as many as 60% of healthcare professionals are reluctant to take the test or take the vaccine. You had healthcare professionals who were reluctant to participate in the trials. And that's a whole nother piece. The trials, uh, the demographic uh, are screwed, skewered because there were very few people in the trial sample demographic who were over 80 years old. And most of the, the deaths in the long-term care and, and nursing homes have been people in advanced age where their vital life force is diminished, mainly because either of old age or because they're on a plethora of varying drugs. So there, there are a lot of reasons we need to look at that. And for these reasons, because they have not thought this out, there have been no longitudinal, meaning long-term studies done on animals or human beings to project what, if any, problems this injection could cause. And keep in mind, it is an experimental process. Uh, messenger RNA injections have never been tried on human beings before. It's a new technology that was basically being developed for cancer treatment. And even then, they had not moved toward full human testing. So all of this raises serious questions and it becomes even more serious when the powers that be, Big Pharma, the government, refuse to even entertain legitimate and honest questions. You need to understand this and then look at what's happening where people are being challenged and demonized and are suffering because they stand up and stand out. I'd encourage you to go before they take it down. Look at event 201, which took place in October of 2019. It was a simulation, a tabletop live exercise. It took place in New York City. It was sponsored by John Hopkins, the World Economic Forum, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and several other entities. And they came out with some recommendations. Look at recommendation number seven. Now, while they don't use the words censorship and suppression, that's what they're talking about. Or they talk about trusted media people, trusted community people. They mean their shills, minions, and their toadies who are paid to read the headlines and read the copy that these pharmaceutical giants and these uh, lawmakers and public health officials, as well as technocrats who have no power, really, or authority or legitimacy for making these policies. So we need to be careful about that. We need to push for rigorous debate, discussion, so that the truth can come out, so that it benefits everyone and we're not caught up in these rush to judgment decisions that will negatively impact on our health long term down the road. Keep that in mind and use this as food for thought as we sign off on this episode. We haven't posted anything in a while. We've been busy doing writings and doing some other things, doing research. Uh, so we encourage you to to think for yourself. Think in terms of your children, your grandchildren, or your parents if they're elderly. Seek as much information 
as you can so you can make an informed, rational judgment. Don't just get caught up in the hype, the okey-doke, and the emotionalism because we've been subjected to what they call out in, in, the, in the pop culture, fear porn. It's fear-mongering. It's a psychological campaign to make people afraid to fear this virus when in fact your immune system is all you need really to fight it off and uh, most serious and honest scientists epidemiologists and virologists will tell you that but we're living in serious times we're living in times of universal deceit where they attempt to have a false reality what many of us would as an allegory call the matrix Akuben is sounding the alarm and hopefully you will do what you have to do to save yourself. Now, if you choose to, to remain asleep, that's your choice. But I say get as much information as you can. And as we close out, we encourage you to engage in mental decolonization. Free your mind. The rest will follow. Till next time, stay safe, stay sane, stay strong.